Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Will you turn with me to Luke chapter 24? Luke 24, verses 13 to 35 this morning. And uh, we'll get back into our series in 1 John next week, Lord willing. But today we've got the privilege of celebrating the Lord's Supper uh, together uh, here at Dublin First Baptist Church. I I don't mean uh, using quotes to minimize it. We're together wherever we are, Um, whether it's it's you're here with us now or you watch the the YouTube uploaded part of this in in a couple of hours or a DVD in two days uh, once we get them all taped and, and sent out to you. But we're together. We are uh, God's churches together. We do. Uh, we tend to do uh, communion or the Lord's Supper here quarterly. And while this is likely to be the most unusual format we have ever experienced it uh, in, uh, I believe it's important that we we continue to do that even in this context. That my prayer is that our observance of this gift from God, and that's what both baptism and communion are. They are uh, gifts given to us by Jesus Christ. Even in this unusual format, my prayer is that it will be a celebration uh, that it will unite us together in a very genuine spirit. We, I'm not trying to minimize the fact that we're not here together. I can't wait till that happens, and it will happen. We will be together again, church, but um, we are together in spirit. We're together worshiping the Lord. There's nothing that can separate us. That's what communion is celebrating, uh, the co-union that you and I have with Jesus Christ, the union we have with him, and that union, because of that, we have that union with each other. We're the body of Christ. And it doesn't matter where we are, that union is still there. Uh, That's one of its greatest benefits. That's what we celebrate when we celebrate communion, that we are all together, members of his body, the church, his family, Uh, Distance is no threat to the reality of our position in Jesus Christ together. So uh, together, what we did at at Christmas, around Christmas time in the month of December, is we as a church went through the book of Luke. I encouraged everyone to read one chapter a day starting on December 1st, and that brought us right up to Christmas Eve, finishing it. And I got to chapter 24, and I had... uh, We studied this together, uh, Krista and I. I read this passage, and I had read it many times before. I had heard it preached. I even went on something called an Emmaus walk one time. Uh, That happens often at this time of year. Uh, But I had never really understood it as it jumped off uh, the pages of Scripture to me uh, then, last December. And I said, at some point, God, I I know you want me to um, share this with the people I love during a time when we celebrate the Lord's Supper. So I think this is a perfect opportunity to do that. I'd like to read uh, verses 13 to 35 of Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. It says, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were holden, 
that they should not know him. And he said unto them, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another, as ye walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher, and when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher, and they found it even so, as the women had said. But him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things, and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And they drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread, and blessed it, and brake, and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, the Lord is risen indeed. And he hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I, I pray right before we uh, get to celebrate and the, a portrayal of your word, that right now you would illuminate the truth in your written word. God, I pray that you would quiet anxious hearts this morning. I pray that you would empower and encourage faith this morning. I pray that we would see Jesus in a new way, in a closer way this morning and in the days ahead. And I pray that we would understand the relationship we have with you through this passage of scripture and then through this beautiful ordinance you've given us that we're going to celebrate in a minute. Wherever we are, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bind us together in unity Make Jesus known to us. Make Jesus known to others through us. We pray in his name, amen. All right, in verses 13 to 24 um, in this passage, uh, one of the things that communion is, uh, one of the things that we're going to celebrate here in a moment uh, is Jesus drawing near. Communion is Jesus drawing near. Do you know that we have a God who wants to be known Psalm 27, 8 says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. In Psalm 46, 10, God tells us, be still and know that I am God. He wants us to know him. 
In Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, it says, Let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or the rich boast of their riches, but let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord. See, we have a God who wants to be known. We have a God who enjoys being known. He wants that relationship with you and I. In Jeremiah 31, it talks about a new covenant that God would make with you and I. That's what we will celebrate. Jesus literally said that. This is the New Testament, or this is the new covenant in my blood. This do in remembrance of me. And in Jeremiah 31, we're told about that new covenant. It's a new covenant uh, that for all those who will place their faith in God's grace to us in Jesus Christ, it's a covenant where it says, you will know me. You will know me. Every person will know me who does this. Every person who, by faith, accepts the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ gets to know him under this new covenant, the one we'll celebrate. We've got a God who enjoys being known, but we have a God who endeavors to be known as well. That's why we were created, is to know God. But my sin, your sin, Mankind's rebellion against God created a chasm that prevented a relationship with God. So God made a way. We couldn't. But God made a way. And that way, you could say capital W, that way was Jesus Christ. That way is Jesus Christ. And he's the only way. He's the way, the truth, and the life. God made a way to reconcile that relationship. A God who enjoys being known, endeavored to be known. And he did that to you and I through Jesus Christ. It was an endeavor of grace. Let's get into the text here in Luke 24. We read about um, these two disciples in verses 13 and 14. Later on, we find out one of their names, Cleopas. I'm not sure who this other one was. Some believe that Cleopas was a husband of uh, a lady named Mary, and which Mary that is, they're not entirely sure, but might have been one that was at the foot of the cross. But we've got these two disciples. We know they're disciples of Jesus, Probably not the, of the 11 that were still going there, uh, but maybe in Jesus' larger body of disciples who had followed him. And uh, in verses 13 and 14, we read about these two, and they're traveling from Jerusalem to Emmaus, which is about seven miles or so. And they're doing what you do when you travel. You probably talk about things. Uh, and they had a lot to talk about. They had a lot to talk about. I mean, Jesus, their leader, their Messiah, uh, the one in whom they had placed all their future faith, all their future hopes, he had been crucified. You know, and not only that, but there is um, breaking news we find out. You've probably heard that term more than enough in the last few weeks, breaking news, but um, there was. There was breaking news that um, not only had he been crucified, but he may have risen from the dead. They didn't know exactly what this meant. Uh, they just knew that the tomb was empty. That much they had all agreed upon. Uh, had he risen? Could it be? Or did someone take his body? Did Pilate, did the Jewish leaders of Sanhedrin? And this is what they were discussing as they walked along the way. Notice verse 15, it says, And it came to pass that while they communed together, now I'm not trying to say that they had a little um, cup of, of, of grape juice and, and a little uh, unleavened bread cracker. It just simply means they were talking together, like you do when you're um, you know, with your family and traveling. It says they communed together. And they reasoned. They were talking about these things, trying to figure it out. But I want you to notice the end of verse 15, what does it say? As they communed, who came near? Jesus. 
Jesus drew near. Now, they didn't recognize him yet, and they wouldn't for a while, according to this passage, but Jesus drew near. That's what he enjoys to do. That's what he endeavors to do. Jesus wants to be known by you. Not just something he enjoys, it's something he endeavors. That's what communion is all about, the great endeavor of God, where Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross. There's no greater endeavor of grace than that. That's what we celebrate this morning a God who enjoys being known and who endeavors to be known. And verse 16 says, their eyes were holding, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Jesus drew near, but they didn't know him. Now, why, why would that be? It's an unusual verse. Literally, this word idea of holding means powerfully restrained. Their eyes were powerfully restrained. It doesn't say who powerfully restrained them. Was it God? God's word tells us there were times There were times when Jesus prevented people from understanding or seeing who he really was. There were times in Jesus' life when he prevented people from understanding that he was God's son and the Messiah, and he was sent to save people from their sins. It's something that theologians have termed judicial hardening, and God gives us a reason why he did that. Um, That's why he spoke in parables. And why he only explained the parable to his disciples, not to the whole congregation that heard it. There were times during Jesus' ministry here on earth when Jesus hid, temporarily hid, his true identity so that he wouldn't be universally accepted right then and there. I'm glad he did that. You know why? Because I'm saved. And you have the opportunity to be saved. That's why he did it. He did it so that he could die for our sins so that there would be a delay in in him being accepted as the Messiah. So that even here now in 2020, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can turn to him this morning and receive forgiveness of sins. He did it so there'd be an opportunity for all peoples to place their faith in what he would do for us. It talks about it in Matthew 13, 14, and Mark 11, or Mark 4, 11 and 12, Luke 8, 10, John 12, 40, Romans 11, 8. All these passages show that there were times when Jesus temporarily, for God's sovereign, ordained purpose, hid who he was for a greater purpose, for his greater sovereign purpose. Is that what's going on here? It could be. I really don't know. It doesn't tell us. It just says their eyes were holding. Their eyes were powerfully restrained. It doesn't say God did it. There's not really even any super strong indication in the original languages who is the actor or what is restraining the eyes. It just simply says that they were restrained. Later on, it says they were opened. Again, it doesn't say God opened them. And of course, God's ultimately in control of both of those situations. All we know is they were powerfully restrained. And here's Here's my take on it. Without that kind of emphasis that tells us that God purposefully did it there, my question is, could it be that in these two men, the terrifying reality of everything they had experienced in the past few days, everything they'd witnessed, their hopes and their dreams dashed to pieces by the death of the one they had so faithfully followed for years, and this horrible set of circumstances they found themselves in, that that's what held their eyes, that they were obscured. Their eyes were, you know, their ability to recognize who this was, it makes no sense otherwise. I mean, they had followed Jesus. They couldn't see him. They were listening to him. He talked with them. They didn't recognize the Savior's voice that they had heard so many times before. 
But that happens to you and I sometimes. There are times, uh, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in such a place, but the trials and tribulations of life cloud what you thought you knew about God or what he was active and doing right then and there, the darkness of circumstances you're going through, veiling uh, the Christ you have placed all of your future hopes in. And I believe that's what verses 17 to 24 actually communicate to you and I. Jesus comes to them and he says, what are y'all talking about in verse 17? What manner of communication are these things? And why, why are you talking this way and walking this way and sad? And then Cleopas says, are you the only one who doesn't know what's going on? That's what he says to Jesus in verse 18. Haven't you heard what's been happening here the last few days? And in verse 19, Jesus says, what things? And he says, about Jesus. He, he was a, a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. He doesn't say anything about him being the son of God there, the disciple, this disciple. Had, that, had everything that happened made him question that? Most of the disciples saw him as the Messiah prior. Not just the Messiah, though, that they had understood he would be. But here he doesn't even identify in that way. Verse 20 says, uh, I mean, our chief priests, and they delivered and condemned him to death, and they actually crucified him. And we, now, now in verses 21 to 23, uh, 24, he says, uh, we don't even know where he is. Some people said he raised from the dead. You just know his body's gone. I mean, their world had been shaken here. The Jesus that these two disciples had followed was obscured to them by everything that had happened. Yet still Jesus drew near. That's what he does in times like these. Like church, that's what he does in times like these. Coronavirus, cancer diagnosis, loss of a loved one, loss of a job. Jesus draws near. Sometimes we just need help to realize that Honestly, he's always been there. Don't push him away. Allow Jesus to shine through these clouds of life and to lift the veil of dark circumstances. Do you know you have a God who wants to commune with you, who enjoys being known with you, who endeavors to be known by you? Communion is not just Jesus drawing near, it's Jesus declaring truth. And that's what he does here in verses 25 to 27. Do you know we also have a God who provides us his word? In verse 25, he says to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Fools might seem a bit harsh in our language. I mean, really, when you look at what the Greek means, he's just saying, you, you two are not thinking, you're being thoughtless. That's a little more palatable to you and I than probably being called a fool. But that's what he said to them. You're being thoughtless, guys. You're not thinking. You're not connecting the dots. And the things that they had just experienced prevented them from doing that. So you know what Jesus did? He connected the dots for them. We have a guy who wants to be known so much, he provides his word and he teaches us his word. And verse 26 says, uh, verse 25 says, Then he said unto them, uh, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory and beginning at Moses and all the prophets he expounded unto them and all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. He did it for them. He connected the dots that they had missed. You know, God's word from Genesis to this point in their lives, from Genesis to Malachi, it reveals a Messiah, just not the one they thought God would send. It reveals a Messiah who would suffer to reign. 
It reveals a Messiah who um, would die to live and to give life to those who will follow him. But that was a roadblock for them. They didn't understand this aspect. This worldview that they had, they couldn't understand a Messiah that would do that. So Jesus helped them. It says beginning at uh, Moses, which is Genesis to Deuteronomy, at the very least, the Pentateuch, that section that we know Moses wrote, was a human author of, and continued all the way to Malachi. At that time, Jesus took all these passages of the Old Testament that point to him. He's like, guys, this is talking about me. See, I fulfilled this. Guys, it said I would suffer. He's reading, I'm sure, passages like Isaiah you know, 53 and, and showing them, I had to die for your sins. And he explained all that happened. He showed them what was clouding their conception. And he told them, look, all of this was not happenstance. All of this was not an accident. Like Paul, uh, or as Peter uh, preached in the sermon at Pentecost in um, Acts 2.23, this is the deliberate plan and foreknowledge of God. It wasn't like, oh, Oops, what happened to Jesus? This was God's design. And he's trying to tell these two that and, and reorient all their obscurity and confusion and what was veiling them from even recognizing the Jesus they followed at that point. What about what you're going through? What's clouding your conception this morning? Is it coronavirus? Is it family struggles? Is it relationship struggles? Is it financial struggles? Are any of those things outside the deliberate plan and foreknowledge of God. They're not. They're not. This God who enjoys and endeavors to be known by you has provided you with his word so that you can use it to shine in that darkness and to lift that veil of obscurity so you can know his plan for you and you don't fall into the condition that these two disciples were in. But do you know we also have a God who he doesn't just provide his word, he portrays his word. I think I spoke, uh, I don't know if it was last Sunday or Wednesday, about how I am not a handyman. I'm not uh, in repairing things. Uh, but I tried to fix our washing machine one time, and I fixed it. I was quite proud of myself. Do you know how I did it? I looked it up on the internet and watched a video. Like, if I would have had a manual, um, that said, you need to uh, make sure you remove the flux capacitor valve and then install a right flange bracket, I'd have no idea what it was talking about, probably because none of those parts are in there. But I saw a video that showed me what I was looking at and what I needed to do, and I fixed it. I fixed it. How-to videos are helpful. How-to illustrations are helpful. And we have a God who portrays his word. Yes, God's word is sufficient. His word is alive. In 2 Peter, we are told it's sufficient. God has provided us all things pertaining to life and godliness in his word. It's powerful. It's life-changing. But he didn't just give us his written word. He gave us his living word, Jesus Christ, God's son, God in the flesh. He's portrayed in the unified message of Genesis to Revelation. Uh, this was God's written to word um, coming to us and living among us and dying for us and rising for us and right now ascending so that he could intercede for us and one day coming for us. We have the living word of God that the written word of God tells us about. You know, um, as Baptists, we recognize and celebrate two ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper or Communion. These two ordinances given to us 
by God portray the gospel message of Genesis to Revelation. Their portrayals, their, their um, entire sermons in a symbol, a symbolic act. Um, and symbols are important. They are. Um, this is a symbol. This wedding ring is a symbol. It's a powerful symbol, isn't it? Um, reminds me of the pledge I made to my wife, that covenant. It's a powerful symbol. I got some other symbols, and I don't know if you at uh, home watching on video can see it, but I'm going to ask Tommy to put up the first one. Can you all see that? Uh, that's American flag. This American flag was the one flown over Fort McHenry, and it's at the Smithsonian Institution. Is that a powerful symbol? It's got to be pretty powerful. It inspired the guy to write our national anthem. What about the next one? Is that a powerful symbol? So powerful you can already, you knew what it was. Iwo Jima went through your mind. They're so powerful they made a statue of it so we can actually see it all the time. Uh, that's, that, you know, it's not just a picture that we can look at a picture, but people can actually visit this moment in time. It's powerful. What about the next one? Is that a powerful symbol? That's the tomb of the unknown soldier. And that's much more than a symbol, actually, kind of like communion or baptism, a symbol that we act out. I mean, there's a whole procedure there and actions that go along with it because it means something. What it represents is something very important. And then finally, is that a powerful symbol? I got a chance to go there uh, last year about this time and um, see where the two buildings once were. But when you see that light shining up, and, um, that's a powerful symbol. Like so many of the other pictures we just looked at, a symbol of the sacrifice that was made by someone else for you and I. All right, And that's, um, that's, what, that's what baptism and communion are. Portrayals. The word of God not just provided but portrayed. Kind of a how-to uh, video of what God had done for us and what he calls his followers to do as well. This morning, we're going to portray the word of God for us, Christ's death for us, and Christ's uh, return for us, and our death to sin and new life is symbolized in that because we placed our faith in his body broken for us and his blood shed for us. Finally, communion is Jesus displaying himself. Is Jesus drawing near? It's Jesus declaring truth, but communion is Jesus displaying himself. We've got a God who reveals himself to us. Doesn't just want to be known, doesn't just never to be known, doesn't just give us his word uh, provided and portrayed, but he actually reveals himself to us. Look at verse, after he had taught them, Moses and the prophets, it says in verse 28, they drew nigh, Jesus and these two drew nigh unto the village, whither they went, they got near Emmaus, and he made as though he would have gone further. Jesus acted like he was going to keep walking, but they constrained him. Are you constraining God this morning? Be like, thank you for drawing near to me, Jesus. I want to be known by you this morning. I want to know you deeper this morning. They constrained him, saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And then it says, um, verse 30, and it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, doesn't mean like they had lamb or barbecue. It means it reclined at a table as they sat down for dinner. Um, he took bread, and he blessed it and broke it and gave to them. 
and their eyes were open. See, their eyes were holding before, but it says, as he did this, as he sat down there, as he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to them, that's one, that's one. Their eyes were opened and they knew him. The Jesus who had been obscured for whatever reason, the Jesus who had been veiled as they walked miles talking with him, now they knew him. And that one simple act. I'm not sure, you know, we see the picture uh, that I think Da Vinci painted of the Last Supper, and there's probably uh, a load of uh, detailed inaccuracies with that because he painted it in the Middle Ages and in a different culture than what actually happened there. But I tried to find, and I studied and studied, and I cannot find anywhere that uh, actually says the only people in that room were Jesus and the twelve. Jesus said, go prepare this for my disciples. Cleopas and this other fellow could have been there. I can't find a place in Scripture that says they weren't. Maybe they just heard about it. Maybe in the three days that have been since that last Passover meal, that first communion meal, that um, they had just heard about. They might not have been there. They might just have, Peter said, yeah, this is what he did. And then Judas flew out. And then, you know, John was laying on his breast and they're giving him all the details. And he broke bread. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. And now, you know, they could have just said all that. But these guys could have been there too. All I know is their eyes were obscured. And now, in one simple act, God's word stresses, this is what happens right before Jesus is made known to them. And communion is that. It's Jesus being made known to us. That's why God's commanded us to do it. But right here, as they're doing that, they understand who Jesus is. You know, communion is this. It's a celebration of our co-union. That you and I, by God's grace, if we've trusted Jesus as a Savior for our sins, that we are united with Christ and we have relationship with God. But also not just individuals, we have that together. That's why communion happens in church, even in this unusual form of church we're doing this morning. Um, But it's a beautiful gift from God that can open your eyes and open my eyes. To Jesus. When life gets crazy and clouds of life start obscuring who Jesus is, um, communion, this gift that God gave us, can shine through that darkness. It can blow away the clouds that veil the goodness of God to us in Jesus Christ. We can see that Jesus has drawn near and he's right there with us. We can hear him. We know him. Communion helps us to see Jesus again. And God's revealing himself to us. But communion is also God revealing himself through us. Look at verse 31. After their eyes were opened and he vanished out of their sight, verse 32. And they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scripture, every time I study God's word with you, every time I'm preparing, and and even when I hear other uh, pastors preach, God's word burns in my heart, just like it did for these men. I hope it is burning within you this morning. But look what they did. It says in um, verse 33, they rose up the same hour. They had just, I, mean, I don't know if they finished their dinner, but once Jesus had vanished, they said, we got to go back to Jerusalem. And they walked the seven miles back there. They didn't wait till the next morning, figure everything out. They said, we've got to go tell them we've just seen Jesus. We've got to give them the same hope that we have. And so they returned that hour to Jerusalem. They found the 11 gathered together and then that were there with them. So it's not just the 11. There's other disciples too that are still there with them. And this is what they told them. Verse 34, the Lord is risen indeed. And he hath appeared to Simon. Verse 35, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known to them 
by breaking of bread. All right, so Jesus is revealing himself to us this morning as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, but help us, Lord, to also see that when we're celebrating that and we're understanding you and you're revealing yourself to us, Lord, help us to understand that you're revealing, your desire is to reveal yourself through us to other people. That we would leave here or wherever you're celebrating with us and, and uh, you wouldn't waste a minute, you would rise up and take every opportunity God presents you this week to allow Jesus to reveal himself through you. You know, in a few minutes, we're going to celebrate communion. It's a symbol that uh, reminds us that we have a God who enjoys being known, and he endeavors to be known. And um, we have a God who provides his word to us and has portrayed it, like literally, and then given us two portrayals of his actual portrayal of his word uh, we have a God who wants to reveal himself to you, but also through you, Christian. And before we celebrate this gift, I'm going to ask Megan to come, and we're just going to have a few moments right here and wherever you are. Uh, whenever we uh, celebrate this, we're asked to do kind of a self-check, to examine ourselves, to see if there's anything we need to confess to our loving Father who is wanting to forgive right now. And I'd ask you, you don't even have to wait till I start uh, praying or, or Megan starts uh, playing. But if you will, if we just spend a few moments here in prayer, uh, ask God to use his word that we study together and use this ordinance that we're about to celebrate to pierce the darkness you might find yourself in, to lift that veil of obscurity so that you can see in a new way, in a deeper way, the one in whom you've placed your faith. Uh, use these moments to thank God for the sacrifice of Jesus. Use these moments to thank him for the union you have with him and with each other. Uh, it's real. That union you have with Jesus, that union you have with each other is real. And the distance from heaven to earth doesn't separate your union from Jesus, does it? No. And the distance from your home to your home, from White Lake to Bladenboro, from White Oak to Owen Hill Road, it doesn't separate the union that you and I have with each other too that we'll celebrate this morning. So let's just take a minute and thank God for all he is for us and confess anything that we need to confess before we celebrate the grace of our Lord to us in Jesus Christ.